I'm Jonathan Goldstein, and you're listening to Wiretap on CBC Radio 1 and, and Sirius Satellite Radio 137. Today's episode, Heaven and Hell. Heaven by Heather O'Neill Grandfather claimed to have been dead a few seconds once when he was nine. The story went that he'd been so cold in his house that he froze to death in the middle of the night. Lucky for him, his mother had been boiling water for tea and porridge and had come in to wake him when she did. Seeing that he was blue and that his hair was frozen and sticking straight up, she put him in the bathtub and covered him with tea and hot water, and she yelled for all his brothers and sisters to come and rub his fingers and his toes. And finally, he came back to life. Impossible, my brother would scream when my grandfather told his tale. It's not impossible at all, grandfather would counter. You get perfectly preserved when you're frozen. They defrost cavemen all the time. Even after 5,000 years, the scientists buy them a fashionable suit, take them out for a steak dinner, and they're as good as new. My brother and I believe that my grandfather, as he often did, had mistaken something he'd seen in a Hollywood comedy for real life. Just the same, the time he had died was far and away one of grandfather's best stories. Grandfather had no idea what actual heaven was like because he hadn't gotten that far. He just knew about the train ride there. You see, according to him, when you died, you ended up on the platform of a huge railway station. There were thousands of cars, such an impossibly long line of them that you couldn't even see the last one. He said you don't realize how many people die in a single morning, until you're dead and standing in a crowd among them. He said the crush of people was worse than Coney Island on the 4th of July. The conductor had to make many stops at many platforms so that there wouldn't be a stampede. He said the year was 1942, so a lot of the adults showed up in terrible shape, especially the soldiers who were missing limbs and drinking from metal flasks. A soldier in a wheelchair was softly asking an angel if there was any way he could get his legs back, and the angel told him it wouldn't be a problem once he got to heaven. Then he safety pinned a little blue card to the soldier's jacket that read, Urgent. Quite a few people had these cards pinned to them, and despite all their infirmities, Grandfather said they were the happiest-looking people he had ever seen. The angels sorted through everyone, rushing about and chain-smoking cigarettes, for as it turned out, in heaven, smoking was good for you. They gave all the children first-class tickets that allowed them to ride in the cars at the front of the train. There were hordes of children, too, Grandfather said, as children died all the time back then. They were all dressed in the tuxedos and little white gowns that their mothers had dressed them in before laying them on the living room table and weeping over them. They held the flowers they were holding when they were laid to rest, and their hair was combed neatly to the side. Grandfather met a child who had drowned, who kept making sudden panicky swimming motions, 
before realizing that the struggle was over. There was another child who died in a fire who kept coughing up smoke. But other than that, they were an entirely well-groomed bunch, and they filed into the train in a very well-behaved manner. Animals got to go to heaven, too. There were cows and chickens and pigs everywhere. They were put into the same cars as the children to cheer the children up. All these wheezing geriatric cats were there, and an elephant that was being led by an angel. The angel yelled at the kids, Move along, move along, nothing to see here. The elephant received its own compartment, as did a giant squid. There were compartments that were huge aquariums filled with fish who had passed away. And as Grandfather walked along the platform, he could see them swim by through the train windows. One little boy with two black eyes was leading a swan around by a belt that he'd looped around the bird's neck. There was an ostrich speaking Russian to another little boy in black boots who kept responding, Da, da, da while nodding his little head, for in the afterlife, animals and humans could talk to one another. There was a lone cheetah that came and sat in the same berth as Grandfather, and the cheetah spoke in German, and Grandfather realized that he could speak German too. It seemed you could speak any language you wanted after you died and were on your way to heaven. The cheetah had actually been to heaven just last month when he had died of dehydration in Kenya, but then he had been resuscitated by a sudden rainstorm, only to be trampled once again by a pack of stampeding wilderbeests several weeks later. Having ridden this train once before, he already knew what heaven was all about, and so was offering tips. And as the train began to move, the cheetah told Grandfather that, he that heaven would be fine, if not for the angels. They're a brash bunch, so full of themselves, said the cheetah, and no people skills at all. He said it was best to just ignore them. There were feathers all over the tracks from the angels who ran the operation. They pulled out business cards that said things like, Ezekiel, angel extraordinaire, right arm of the Lord's wrath. It's useless making conversation with them, said the cheetah. Angels have too many anecdotes and never let you get a word in edgewise. Later, Grandfather watched two angels discuss the Battle of Bosworth and what a jerk Richard III had been. A mediocre monarch at best, said one angel, and in response, the other angel laughed. Some of the angels who carried trumpets opted to ride on top of the train. Grandfather said that you never really heard the trumpet until you heard an angel playing one. One of the clipboard-toting angels climbed into Grandfather's car at one of the stations and offered him a cigarette. That's where he claimed to have picked up smoking. He handed Grandfather a file which covered his good and bad deeds. But, said Grandfather, it was virtually impossible to decipher the text that angels wrote. It was like reading footnotes. 
They were over-educated because they had been alive so long, and their written assessments of people looked like equations that were too complicated to follow. As a result, all of your good deeds became almost indistinguishable from your bad deeds, and in the end, it didn't matter because everybody got to go to heaven anyway. God loved and wanted everyone. For him, you are as innocent as the day you were born. Grandfather was certain of this, because at each stop, murderers stood on the platforms weeping as they confessed their crimes out loud. Some of them felt so guilty that they didn't even want to get on board to go to heaven. But the angels patted their backs and whispered things in their ears that only made them cry more, and eventually they got on board. At the next station, Grandfather saw that there was an angel on the platform that all the other angels crowded over by the window to look at. They whispered that it was Lucifer. He was wearing a top hat on his head and had blonde hair, and hair down to his shoulders, and in his coat pocket was a copy of a book by Nietzsche. Lucifer called out loudly that he was glad he wasn't aboard that crowded train. Lucifer walked up to Grandfather's car and took a marble out of his pocket. He held it up for Grandfather and the other children to see. There was a tiny trout swimming around in it. The, ch the children gasped in amazement, and Lucifer winked and put it back in his pocket. He shook his top hat, and out flew a hundred doves, and all the children applauded. "'If you think he's impressive,' shrugged an angel." Wait until you meet God. Lucifer's fun to hang out with for a while, but you get tired of all that hocus-pocus stuff. And as they rode along, nearing their destination, even more wondrous things began to occur. Grandfather opened a book that was lying on the seat beside him, and he found that he could read, this despite never being able to keep up in school. Grandfather never got a single word right in spelling tests. He had started skipping school and had come to believe that he would always be an idiot. But here he was, reading. It was such a beautiful feeling that he put his hand up to his mouth and laughed out loud. As the train moved further along, the girl next to him reached into her pocket and pulled out a red mitten that had been lost for months. Her grandmother had made such a big deal about her losing it, too. And another little boy, who had always been afraid of the dark, began to emanate light. Outside the windows, it started snowing, and one of the children put their hand out the window and declared the snow to be as warm as bathtub water. "'Which one of you silly children wished for this bit of nonsense?' yelled an angel through a bullhorn as he watched the snow accumulate on the tracks. "'You must wait until heaven before you start making your wishes. All that you're doing now is making a big mess and delaying the schedule.'" The cheetah addressed the presence of the miracle by explaining to Grandfather that creation was easier in heaven, as you could have whatever your heart fancied. On earth, God had made sure that no one would have that power but him. But in heaven, the angels were always pitching their preposterous ideas, new creatures that would give humans a run for their money. 
For instance, one angel he'd heard had recently proposed a tiger that was five times the regular size and came with opposable thumbs. Get out of my office, God had yelled at that angel. And then suddenly, outside the window of the train, Grandfather saw that the snow had been replaced with balloons, thousands of red, blue, yellow, green, and orange balloons descending slowly from out of the sky. One more wish, cried the angel through his megaphone, and so help me God, I'll turn this train right around. Just as the train began its departure from the final station, a hobo carrying a small bundle in his arms came running along the platform. The hobo jumped onto Grandfather's car at the very last minute and squeezed in between Grandfather and the cheetah. He placed the bundle he was carrying gently on his lap and pulled back the blankets to reveal a tiny baby's face. It was smiling peacefully even though its cheeks were blue. The baby couldn't have been more than a few minutes old. As soon as they were settled in and the train began to move, the hobo and the baby continued a conversation they seemed to have been in the middle of. The hobo was asking the baby what it was like to be in the womb. You don't remember, said the baby. How could you forget such a thing? Everyone in the car got quiet because they too wanted to hear what it had been like in the womb. But how could the baby explain it to them? How could he compare it to anything on earth, having only lived a few minutes in the world? But the funny thing about the train was that not only could you speak any language, you suddenly knew the exact words to explain things too. There were always the right words, all you had to do was close your eyes and they would come to you. The baby closed his eyes and read the hobo's mind and described what it was like to be in the womb in a way that the hobo would best understand. Grandfather said he read the hobo's mind as it read the baby's mind and what he read was this. It's a warm feeling, like when Maria put her hand on your leg and just left it there, the whole assembly, and how nobody knew it was there. It was like the first time you drank a bottle of warm beer on the beach and everything made you laugh, and you rode back to the city in your uncle's car and you were squashed in the back seat with five cousins and everyone was squeezed in so tight in the car that when someone laughed you all jostled. You hear people talking in the womb and their voices sound like someone you're in love with talking in their sleep. Grandfather said that in that, in that moment everyone realized that the baby was not only describing the womb, but was also, somehow, describing heaven. Everyone understood it in their own way, and for Grandfather it would be like the time a lady from his church made him a whole box of candied apples to take home, and how he hurried home with them, thinking about his brothers' and sisters' faces, how they'd look when he opened the box and showed them that there was enough for everyone. All the passengers were waving their handkerchiefs as they neared the gates of heaven, when suddenly, Grandfather was back in the world, alive, his mother pouring her old gray tea onto his face. And it's a good thing for you, too, Grandfather told us, because otherwise, 
you'd never have been born. But that story's really hard to believe, my brother said, and I nodded my head in agreement. That's exactly what the cheetah said happened to him when he came back to life, shouted Grandfather. He wasted his breath trying to explain what went on above to the other cheetahs, but no one believed him. Grandfather then shrugged his shoulders, leaned back in his armchair, and left it at that. Hey, Erwin. This is Jonathan Goldstein calling. Wow. Hi. Hey. Uh, it's It's been a while. Yeah. 16 years or something like that. Yeah, I guess not since grad school. Yeah. Oh, my God. It was a little tricky to track you down, but I'm going to be... Hold on one second. Uh, do I have a line? I might have... I have one line. Cherry? No, no, Cherry. You want to think about it? Okay, I'm not going anywhere. Sorry, but... So, yeah, uh, you're... What? I'm sorry, you're busy. It's okay, I don't, it's okay, don't worry about it. Um, um, I was... Anyway, work was going to be bringing me into Chicago, and I was just wondering if you want, might, might want to hang out. What work? Radio. I'm, I've, I've, got a, I've got a radio show here in, in Montreal. So you stayed with it? <laughs> and what about you? I remember you were on... Um, after you left uh, broadcast school, you were, you were working in television, right? You know, I decided to take a, a bit of a break from broadcast journalism. Oh, you have? Uh-huh, yeah. I don't know if you, you didn't hear about anything that, uh, you know, because I was doing the local news for a while. There was a bit of a thing with... Uh, what, what happened? Well, you know, it turns out that you're actually not allowed to call a colleague an ice-cold on TV at 6 o'clock in the evening. Sue me. I, I, you know, I moved, I moved out of journalism. I moved into the... Um, into the restaurant business. You're, you're running a restaurant? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, very specific kind of um, niche of the food market. It sounds like you got a lot of, you got a lot of kids there. Yeah, yeah, I really love kids. I mean, those were, you know, little heads. Get out of there. I don't care. Get out of there. What's it? Look at here. Do I have to come out of the truck? You're mean. Because I'll come out of the truck. Erwin, sorry. What? You're in a truck? Yeah. A restaurant truck. It's more of a, 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 you know, more of the dessert end of things. A dessert truck. Yeah, yeah, for kind of a frozen dessert truck. Can I have one ice cream, please? Like ice cream. Yeah, ice cream, uh, ices, sorbets, things like that. Well, no sorbets. But, you know, ice cream and stuff. You're an ice cream man? You know, it's interesting to me that given our journalistic training, that you would expect a proper answer to a question posed in that manner. I... In sort of derisive, judgmental tone of voice. 
Erwin, I'm, why would I answer that question? I really, I didn't. I, I'm sorry that you're taking it that way. I, I, uh, I don't think I'm taking it. I totally I didn't. I, didn't I, I didn't mean it in in any way. Forget, forget, yes, I am a nice. Okay. Speaker. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. That you know, you're making kids. I, you don't have to tell me. I yeah. know. Right. I, I know that there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, I'm sorry, it's just, it's a bit surprising because uh, last we spoke, uh, you yeah, were you okay. were in television, so. Well, it's a long time ago, and, you know, television is not, um, it's not the only thing worth doing in the world. You know, some people like feeding children. So, one sec. This is my cone. No, no, no cones. What do you mean, no cones? It's all you can eat. Whatever you can carry away in your hands. Those are my you, you just put your hands under the spigot. Oh. Yeah, if you want to move it, it'll go in a swirly pattern, but otherwise just make a bowl out of your hands. Bowl? Okay. Er, er, Wait, put the money down. Erwin? Yeah. You, you don't have any cones? Don't, I mean, don't you serve ice cream in cones? One can. Presently, I am between cones. Would it be, uh, what about a bowl? We were never a bowl operation. Well, what happened to your cones? Well, some were used up. Some were, um, some some suffered some mild breakage. Uh. You can't be slightly broken if you're an ice cream cone. You're either broken or you're whole. You know, it's just one of the realities of the business. I'm trying to imagine this here. So, so they give you the money. And then I bring them into the truck and they put their hands under the spigot. And then, and then, so they walk away with their hands full of ice cream. Yeah, they love that. Kids love that. They couldn't be happier. There's a paper clip in my ice cream. It's great. Wh where are you living now? I'm, not, you know, I'm staying, I'm staying, I'm staying in the. Well, it's kind of like a truck RV, you know. The ice cream truck. Yeah. When I'm not working. I'm, uh, you know, I'm recreating in it, so that would make it my recreational vehicle. Is there some kind of plumbing or something? There's a sink, um, you know, a sleeping area on the floor. How long have you been living in an ice cream truck? Not an ice cream truck, my ice cream truck. You own it? I rent it. Well, I got some homeless guy broke into an ice cream truck. I'm the only one here. God, you're really, it's really interesting to me. I don't recall you being so judgmental. Uh, no, I mean, I'm not. I mean, I'm just sort of, um, I mean, you know, you hear about a person who's living in an ice cream truck and... No, what you're hearing about is an entrepreneur. I can drive wherever I like, uh -huh. eat all the ice cream I want. I've got that music, which, you know, it's a cheerful melody. I'm a hero to boys and girls in the neighborhood. I want my money back. I've been thinking of, uh, you know, I've been in some talks with the Ben and Jerry folks. You know, you might know them. They're only in ice cream, too, Jonathan. You should feel sorry for them, too. Ben, ben and Jerry, the ice cream manufacturers. Not that Ben and Jerry. But, it, you know, it's not entirely clear who has the right to the name. What, uh, what? Get your feet away from there. Hands only. I want to put ice cream on my feet. Hands only. Can I lick it off your feet? No, you can't lick it off this her feet. This is the worst ice cream I've ever had. Get out of you here. Smell. What? Sorry, what? Sounds like you have a real nice rapport with your clients. Are you being sarcastic? Do you think, do you think that because I've um, fallen on someone by your standards reduced circumstances, do you think that I'm uh, 
Also, gone simple-minded. Do you think I don't pick up the sarcasm? Get off the phone, jackass. You're crazy. I mean, you you, you don't have any plans to sort of uh, to to get back into into broadcasting in any capacity? Because I mean, it it seems like a bit of a, a bit of a I shame. I kind of keep my I keep my chops honed. Yeah. How, how yeah, so? Yeah, yeah. Um, and make occasionally I do a little bit of you know uh, announcing here and there. Oh yeah. Uh, well, hold on. Well, I'll, I'll I'll do it for you. Let me just warm up the old machine. Ladies and gentlemen and children of all ages. Is, 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 that, what? is that your megaphone? Yeah, it's on top of the truck. That sounds pretty loud. Are you I mean are you are you allowed to drive through the neighborhood? Not really. This isn't your daddy's ice cream. Eating out of a cone like an old man. The shizzle were no more messy cones to shatter and drip crumbs everywhere. Like they used to say, ice cream, you scream. Well, no, I don't actually mean for you to scream. Okay, shut, shut up. Shut up. Shut up. Oh. Oh. I don't know where we've got to go. Listen, if you want ice cream, I'll be the north end of the parking lot by the power hookup. Here's the supermarket. I gotta go. Irwin? Okay. All right. I'll just uh, I'll just try you in the meantime. Maybe. Heaven. I'm in heaven. And my heart beats so that I can hardly speak. And I seem to find the happiness I seek. When we're out together, dancing cheek to cheek. Heaven. On Wiretap today, you heard Heather O'Neill reading her short story, Heaven. Ms. O'Neill is author of the novel, Lullabies for Little Criminals. You also heard David Rakoff, author of Don't Get Too Comfortable. The Ice Cream Truck Children were played by Alexa and Colin Everett and Helen and Katie Pallet Wiesel. Wiretap is produced by me, Jonathan Goldstein, with Mira Bertwintonic and Carolyn Warren. Production assistance from Crystal Duhame. Reach us through our website at cbc.ca slash wiretap. Oh, I love to go out fishing in the river.